Amen. Well, thank you, Lee. Good morning, everybody. Let me fire this up. So as you've heard, my name is Adam, and I don't really know anyone, so I can safely know that I need to introduce myself. Um, I am the curate here, which I'll, I'll just explain that that is like kind of trainee vicar. So I am like, I was going to say Ben in miniature, but I am Ben in training. Um, and um, I'm here, it's my privilege, my joy to share with you from Scripture this morning to end our series on prayer, which actually I arrived on the first of that series. Um, and so I'm a little bit hoping I don't mess it up um, and, and a little bit just really excited um, to speak on the final two lines of the Lord's Prayer. Now, as we have been doing all the way through this series and as is our our, I guess our tradition, um, what we do at St. Thomas's, we say a prayer before we start um, our sermons and we, we say them all together. And this series we've been saying the Lord's Prayer. So would you guys like to stand with me and we'll say that all together now. And I believe the words are going to pop onto the screen. Oh, it's like witchcraft, isn't it? All right. So join with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Amen. Do take a seat. What a prayer. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised that it's an amazing prayer because it is the prayer that Jesus taught us straight from, from his mouth. Um, but let's, from a, let's just recap where we've been in this teaching series because in a way, that prayer, that is the recap. Just going through what we have been reading, that's what we've been picking apart each week. But we've heard right from the start, from when James shared with us and introduced the whole topic, that it's not about what we need when we pray, but about who we need. It's not about what we need, but about who we need. No prizes for guessing who that is. And when we spend time giving God the praise that he's due, it realigns the way we look at the world. And we see that God is bigger than any of the needs or the difficulties that we have. That was what Mim brought us. And, and God values the conversation. So even though he knows what we need, he wants us to ask him for it. And when we do that, we remember that all things, all good things come from God. We should keep praying for the kingdom. The kingdom is what happens, it's what we use to describe when God's will is being done where we are. The kingdom is coming when what we would expect to see in heaven happens on earth. We should keep praying for the kingdom and never give up. And when we get it all wrong, we all fall short, all of us, we all fall short of perfection. But when we repent, saying sorry to God, with the intent for change, God, through Jesus, forgives everyone for everything. And that releases us to do the same for one another. So, I mean, it hardly seems like it's worth kind of plowing on because there's been so much good stuff already. Where am I going to go now? But this time, this time we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at the last couple of lines of the Lord's Prayer. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time doing that and then we'll dig into another passage um, from the New Testament that I think can help us to live that out. So keep your Bibles handy if you've got them. Um, I have one on my phone, so you're hereby released to have your phones out in church. Um, 
first of all, the, the final lines of the Lord's Prayer always confused me. The doxology, which is the name for the bit where we say, and the kingdom, the power, the glory, that is not actually in that passage of the Bible where the Lord's Prayer is. It doesn't mean that it's wrong, but that's not the line that I'm talking about when I talk about the last couple of lines. Um, that's based on another part of scripture, and it's totally legit. The church has been saying that since about the fourth century. But what we're thinking about is the lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil line. So the title of this that, that I was given is Resisting Evil. And immediately that made me think of baptism, which coincidentally happened on the first week of this teaching series. series. Um, Roxy, who many of us will know, and I can't see where she is. There she is at the back. Roxy was being baptized that Sunday. It was amazing. It was such a celebration. But one of the things that we say in the liturgy, the special words that we say when we declare when someone's being baptized, we all said as a church family, We gave Roxy this charge. We said, fight valiantly as a disciple of Christ against sin, the world, and the devil, and remain faithful to Christ to the end of your life. Wow. I mean, if that is not a big deal, if that's not quite the charge to give someone, I don't know what is, till the end of your life. We don't really say that to anyone, unless we're meaning them harm normally, right? When people say, till the end of your life, it's a prison sentence or something like this. But this is asking Roxy, asking any of us who have been baptised to remain faithful to Christ to the end of our life. That seems to me like hard work as well as a privilege. But then Ben said, the minister says after that, may almighty God deliver you from the powers of darkness, restore in you the image of his glory and lead you in the light and obedience of Christ. You see, because it is God, it's Jesus that enables us to do that. It is impossible without him, but with him, it's possible. So, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You can also, in some Bibles you'll see, it's written the evil one. It doesn't really matter whether we have evil or the evil one, because the evil one, that's, that's the devil, that's Satan, that's, that's where evil's from. So if he's doing all the evil and kind of pulling the strings, then it really doesn't matter whether we want God to deliver us from evil or the evil one. It kind of feels to me like a bit of a throwaway comment at the end of this amazing prayer, which I always feel bad for thinking because, again, Jesus said it, so how could I possibly have any kind of criticism for it? But maybe it's because of the language structure. By by the time I get to the end of the prayer, I'm kind of, I remember it, and then I say... And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Glory come in. Um, And so I just sort of forget what it means. But actually, I suppose part of it is who who talks like that? Now, I don't think it does it anymore, but um, I grew up in Newcastle, and I remember on the metro, the doors would close, and originally the drivers would, they'd pick up their tannoy in in the cab, and they'd say, stand clear of the doors, please. And... Yeah, that that was pretty obvious. We all knew what they meant. But what they didn't say is, stand not in the way of the doors. Because no one would know what they were saying. It's just not the way we speak. So sometimes when we read the Bible, the structure of it, because it's been translated from a different language in a different time, we need to spin that round in in our head. So maybe it's not, lead us not into temptation. But in fact, it's, please don't take us to a place where we'll be tested beyond what we can handle. 
Because temptation also is an interesting word there. You, you could also put test or trial instead of temptation. I think when I think of temptation, I feel like someone is um, dangling something that's not really bad, but that I don't really want to do. So I've, I say I've got a, a new meal plan and I'm really hoping to eat healthily. And temptation is when um, maybe my kids then arrive with an ice cream. And, you know, I should really help them with that. And that's temptation. But, but actually, no, trial might help us to think through better what this is. It's not, it's not somebody offering you just little things, but trial. Lead us not into times of, of trial, of difficulty, of testing. And then we have deliver us from evil. I don't know about you, but whenever I think of deliver, that makes me think of like parcels, or maybe delivery, or, or possibly a delivery suite. Where, where babies are born. I, I never ask someone to deliver me from something. It just doesn't happen. The only place I do it is in the Lord's Prayer. But when you are delivered from something, it implies this very present need for rescue. You are there. You need to be delivered from that rescue in the same way that a baby is inside mom and needs to be delivered because it's not healthy to stay in. They need to come out in order to live. The word there, I love this, the word implies being rescued, but being drawn to the rescuer. The word means to draw to the rescuer. So when we ask, deliver us from evil, we're saying, draw us away from evil and towards you, God. Not just save us from the bad things that are happening, but draw us away from that and towards you. So it feels a bit flippant to me to say this at the end of all of the rest. It's like, oh yeah, and by the way, don't make me have any hard stuff. And when that happens, just you know, sort it all out for me. I mean, maybe it's okay for Jesus to pray that, but can I really pray that? It's also, it seems a bit weird because Jesus tells his followers elsewhere um, in, in the Gospels. He says to them that they will face trial. And so if we're going to be delivered from evil and we're asking not to face trial, but we know we're going to face trial, what, what's that all about? But then Jesus says in that part, you can find it in, in John 16, he says, we shouldn't worry because he has already overcome the world. You know? So how come Jesus instructs us to pray this if he knows that we will face trouble? Well, it means that it's a necessary and real request. And it's one that takes hold of a victory that's already been won. When we pray it, we recognize that there will be trouble, but there doesn't need to be, because Jesus has already won. And of course, that is the essence of the gospel. All the bad stuff that we and everyone and anyone has ever done has been paid for and dealt with by Jesus coming and doing nothing wrong and still being killed for that. So we don't have to die. We don't have to live with evil. We don't have to live under the cosh of that. In a way, Jesus has already defeated evil and death, but we know from our experience that, that our lives are not all rosy. I don't know about you, but my life is not all rosy. Mostly first world problems. My internet isn't fast enough. Um, you know, My washing machine sometimes is on the blink 
There are things that go wrong. There are much worse things than that. I probably wouldn't go to those things when I was describing evil in the world. But that's part of this concept that Christians love to talk about of the now and the not yet. Which just when you think you've got your fingertips around it, it escapes you. This concept that it has already been won, but the effects of that victory aren't yet fully felt around the world that we live in. The deciding battle has been won, but there are still skirmishes going on. And then we get to this other passage in scripture that I'd love to read to you. Because we can join in with that battle against evil. If we can't totally avoid detesting times, how do we respond to them? I'm going to read from um, James, which is often called the book of James, but it's a letter in the New Testament. I'm going to read from the first chapter of that, verses 12 to 18. I love James as a book, but it's also one of the books I least like reading because it is super challenging. I never come away from it feeling good about how well I've been doing, but I have another list, often the same as the last time, of the things that I need to work on. So let me read that now. James chapter 1, starting at verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give birth through the word, give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So that first verse that I read, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. So they'll get a crown, like a, a medal. It's talking about the kind of laurel wreaths, wreaths that you see um, in kind of Roman statues. It's what you would get if you won the gold medal at the Olympics. You will get a medal that endures. Now, this is maybe the first lesson of how we have to behave in testing times. Persevere. Show up. And keep your eyes on the prize. Because it's not just that we're going to heaven, but it's Jesus. Jesus is the prize. Spending our whole life and beyond with Jesus is the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize and show up. Persevere under trial. And remember that being tempted is not the main issue. It's the sin that follows on from that. Temptation's not from God. It's our evil desire that drags us away to be enticed. That drags us away. It's like being drawn to God, that word, deliver us from evil. It's like the opposite. You're either drawn away from evil and to God, or your evil desire draws you into sin to take action on that desire and that's the start of the slippery slope to sin when we read elsewhere in the bible we read that the devil tries to tempt jesus we read about that in matthew 4 and jesus approach to that jesus solution is to know the truth 
He just quotes scripture back at the devil. Whenever the devil says something that's not true and tries to tempt Jesus into um, shirking his responsibility, shirking his mission, Jesus just quotes scripture back at him. He realizes that the devil twists things, makes them seem like a good idea, makes it seem legit, but actually it's not. Actually, it's twisted and it's not from God. That's maybe easy for Jesus, who basically wrote the Bible. But we should remember that also every good thing comes from God. So if we don't know scripture as well as Jesus, which I think probably none of us do, we can at least remember that every good thing comes from God, that he is always reliable and never changing, just as it says in in verse 16 through 18 there. Uh, a New Testament writer, uh, the Apostle Paul, you may have heard of him, he, he writes in another letter that God will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's in, in 1 Corinthians 10. It's a little bit like the role of a coach or an instructor, a good coach or an instructor. God will allow you to get near to breaking point to test you, to help you to grow, but he's never going to break you. I um, I used to train uh, at Gateshead Stadium as a kid and and did lots of athletics. And and I had two different coaches and one of them was was very good and the other one was not. And I remember um, the the one coach that wasn't so good, he would take us to breaking point. And I remember being sick into um, the, the, the drain at the edge of the track because... I couldn't quite do the final lap that I was being expected to do and I just collapsed and I was sick and I just, I never really wanted to go back. It broke me. The trial was too much. But the other instructor, the other coach that I had, he basically would keep an eye on you and whenever he noticed that you were near to breaking point, he would provide the way out so that you could endure it. You'd still be pushing yourself but he wouldn't get you to break. Be soaked in God. Know your Bible and speak to God often. This is how we persevere in troubled times. It's like the standard answer from any Christian camp you've ever been on. For those people who grew up in the church, you go to a Christian camp and the, 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 basically the take home of everything is read your Bible more, pray more for things to do and tell people about Jesus. And it gets kind of annoying, but it's also the take home because it's true. You can never read your Bible enough. Never feel like, oh, I'm going to pop it down now and leave it for a few weeks because I've got all that there is to get out of that. You can never pray enough. Please don't have that feeling when you're worried about something and you're like, oh, but I, I, did, I already prayed this morning, I don't need to pray again. Just send one up, just there. Constantly be talking to God. Draw close to him, because in drawing close to God, we draw away from evil. But what about action? So the rest of the series, and I'm aware I'm diverging a little bit, has been a lot about how we pray. But prayer is an action too. 
Prayer is a way of life. Prayer is not just sitting in your room in quiet, reading your Bible and talking to God. It is that, but it is not just that. Prayer is the whole of your Christian life. Prayer is who we are as the family of God. And so later on in that same chapter of James, I'm just going to read 22 to 25, because this challenges me every time I see it. James writes, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, James is sometimes accused of, of works-based righteousness, which is this idea that you, you have to make your salvation. If you don't do the right thing, you ain't getting into heaven. And that's not true. When you read the book, that's not true. But it is important that we do try. Um, you've probably heard that, that phrase, pray as though everything depends on God, but work as though everything depends on you. I mean, I would say never work as though everything depends on you because God's got it. But we should still be working. Don't just kick back and disrespect God in the way of just saying, well, you just take it. We should still be partnering with him. We're called to do that. But this mirror thing, mirrors are not common in this time, in this part of the world. You might catch a reflection in a pond or a lake. It was important. There weren't shiny glass windows everywhere. You didn't catch your reflection as you walked past something. To remember what you looked like was a privilege. Maybe we don't hold that privilege in the same way, in the sense of this illustration, but also maybe we don't hold that privilege in the same way in our lives as Christians. We need to look at ourselves as Christians and ask, are we doing what we ought to be doing? Are we living what we're reading? Doing good isn't in itself enough to resist evil. Doing good is good, but to resist evil, good is not enough. God is the one who resists evil. It's only through Jesus and imitating him in action and our motivation that we can resist evil. So when James kind of says, just do it, it's not a try harder. It's not a fake it till you make it. He's talking about putting into practice everything that being a Christian is all about. Living out a relationship with Jesus in action and obedience every day. So you guys, don't, don't feel burdened, but do feel a bit of a kick up the backside. Because God gives us a kick up the backside. God wants us to be spurred into action. So, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Don't test us more than we can bear. And draw us away from evil and towards you. In times of trial, guys, persevere. Eyes on Jesus. 
eyes on the prize and lean on the church, on your family. Spend time with God in prayer, in scripture and in worship. And I guess this is the challenge for me and for you. Where have you forgotten what you look like this morning? Where is action required in your life? Take a look in the mirror now and ask yourselves, where is action required? We are about to share um, communion, which is a beautiful picture of Jesus' sacrifice for us. It's a beautiful picture of us and our salvation as a church, as a family. Ben's going to lead us through that. It is the ideal mirror when you re-experience Christ's sacrifice and the example of Christ. It is the ideal mirror to ask yourself, what do I look like? And where is action required? Amen.